truly hearing makes all the difference in the world. Consider the case of Jack Phillips. Jack was a telegraph worker in charge of, of hearing and responding to telegraph messages in the early 1900s. Jack's ability to receive messages led him to work aboard various British ships as a wireless operator. By my count, I believe he worked at around 10 different ocean, airline, ocean liners throughout his career. Well, Jack's last day of work listening to messages ended on a, a very busy night for Jack, where he was particularly caught up with a backlog of personal telegrams that he was dealing with, which he was relying on and as he was working there aboard this ocean liner. Now, importantly, Jack heard but neglected to value and relay a pivotal message that was meant for his ship. It was a message meant to warn his ship about their approach to an upcoming field of icebergs. Jack Phillips was the wireless officer aboard the Titanic. Before drowning that night, Jack explained his oversight to a coworker. I can only imagine the desperation in his voice. He said, I just put the warning under a paperweight at my elbow until I squared away the other messages I was busy receiving. His biographer writes, that delay proved fatal and was the main contributory cause of the loss of that magnificent ship and hundreds of lives. Jack Phillips heard the message of warning but, but honestly, he, he didn't really hear, did he? He received, uh, but he didn't respond. You see, with some messages, true hearing necessitates responding. Truly hearing makes, makes all the difference in the world. There is, there is, by the way, a false sense of hearing that might receive something but doesn't really hear it doesn't really respond to it, then there is a hearing that does produce change. I wonder how you are doing this morning at hearing God's word. Or as Pastor John Fulmer put it, I wonder if you are listening as if your life depended on it. Today's passage is all about hearing. It's the theme that Christ gives in these four paragraphs we're about to study together. The frightening truth of today's passage is that many will think they hear and yet not truly hear. Let me just personalize this for us, church. Likely, just some of you here today will maybe think you hear. Maybe you'll feel inspired. Maybe you'll encourage me with kind words at the door. Maybe you'll learn new ideas. But some of you will hear while truly not hearing. Many people think they hear God's word, but don't. And many people then prove in their lives that they never really did. Today's text will explain what I mean by this. If you've brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. Pardon me while I have a cold. Our passage today 
puts together three different illustrations, soils, lamps, and family, all of which center around this very clear call to hear. It's the unifying theme of the, the chapter. In fact, if you just want to scan through the chapter with me here, you can see it for yourself. If you jump down to verse 8, we read, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or, or jump down further to verse 18, we read, Take care then how you hear. Or down in verse 21, where the passage ends. Jesus commends those who hear the word of God and do it. We we could go on. Nine times throughout this passage, hearing God's word is emphasized. Friends, true hearing makes all the difference in the world. So I'm just going to walk through these word pictures, these illustrations that we see. And we'll see four points. We'll see the, the hearing that we need, which is where we'll probably spend the majority of our time. Number two, what you must hear. Number three, how you will hear. And number four, what true hearing brings. I pray as we study this passage together, I can convince you to take care how you hear. Let's begin by reading this first parable together. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 and following. We read there, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil. And it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The one, who, the one along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no fruit root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Number one, the hearing you need produces enduring fruit. This lesson begins in the context of more crowds. Luke tells us in verse 4, a great crowd was gathering again. People from town after town came to hear him, to hear Jesus. And rather than trying to grow more crowds, Jesus gives this cryptic parable that shows how few of the crowd in front of him will actually listen to what he says. Notice there's one fruitful soil and three 
fruitless soils. One in four bring forth fruit. This is not a statistical rule. I, I think the signal, though, is clear. The, the, the road is broad that leads to destruction and narrow that leads to eternal life. And so Jesus here is he's preaching the word to all, but, but he knows that, that few there will actually receive it. It's a warning passage. The warning is that just because the seed falls on you doesn't mean you're good soil. Fruitless soil will take different shapes. And so we see these four ways of hearing God's word. First, some, sometimes the, God's word is, is spread and it, it lands on a hard, packed down soil. And like a seed that is snatched up by birds, Satan takes away the word. Unbelief prevents salvation. Isn't this what we already know to be true from 2 Corinthians 4.4, where we read that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers? Just think this week of Kathy, a lady I spoke to on an airplane this week, who just out of hand openly rejected the message of the gospel. Just immediate unbelief, similar to what we see here. Friends, as you share the gospel, church, you should know you are very much in spiritual warfare. So pray against the enemy. Pray that he will not snatch away the word and prevent people from believing. Yes, we are all immediately responsible for our own unbelief. But verse 11, Jesus is clearly teaching that the enemy is real and he is at work. Other times we see God's word is spread and it isn't met with obvious unbelief. The soil isn't so obviously packed down and, and hard to enter. And so it looks like there's spiritual growth. This is the second soil we see here. But we find that there's no real moisture in it. There's just rock underneath. And so there's no root to any growth or any perceived growth that we see. For this soil, when trials come, the trials don't grow deeper roots of faith like we saw last week in James chapter 1. No, for, for this false faith, trials prove that there is never any genu genuine faith. I wonder if this might be some of you. I wonder if your, your faith, if it's deep enough that it will stand up when trials hit. The person described here in this picture might look like they believe genuinely for a while, but their faith is not real. They're like pliable in Pilgrim's Progress, that friend that accompanied Christian on that road for some time. But then when, when falling down into the slough of despond, he, he gave up, said, this is too difficult. And he turned around and he went home. Friends, true faith perseveres. This is why Paul can say, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. A third type of hearing. Other times, God's word is spread among the thorns. This was particularly challenging to me this week as I meditated on it. Again here, it looks like there is spiritual growth. 
Perhaps someone starts coming to church regularly. Perhaps they become a church member. Perhaps they uh, start showing real genuine interest in the things of God. But instead of trials pulling this person away, this person is choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. This is what we see explicitly in verse 14. Look at it there with me. Verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Well, dear friends, do you realize that your eternal destiny could be jeopardized by not trials, but by apparent good things, by riches, by cares in this world, by, by pleasures, which, by the way, God created. Do you think that your pleasures were an accident? God designed your pleasures to be used in a good way in this world, according to his good law. And yet here he warns us that after the fall, we have a tendency to be choked, to be distracted by these good things, just like thorns with barbs in them, with hooks that, that grab onto a plant and, and pull it down. These temptations are so dangerous because they take these good gifts that God gives and they use them outside of God's good plan. Jesus says, watch out. Jesus says, your flesh desires these things apart from God's ordering in his word. And meanwhile, our flesh lies to us and says, Surely this pleasure is good. It's, it, we say, surely, it feels so right. This week I was reminded uh, by Garrett Kell of the bizarre case of the pitcher plant. It's a carnivorous plant that eats insects. It's shaped, it's shaped like a pitcher or, or like a long cup. And it's often very colorful and attractive. And at the bottom of the cup is this sweet-smelling nectar, which actually mimics a flower to attract insects. And so insects fly into the large pitcher, and they slowly make their way down into the pitcher. And they wander past tiny little thorns, which Garrett describes. He says, unbeknownst to the bug, the spokes it presses past are inflexible barbs trapping and dooming the bug to be devoured by the plant's digestive juices, which are themselves disguised as sweet-smelling nectar. Very sweetness, which attracts the insect, traps them and kills them. This is how sin works. Jesus warns that the pleasures of life can be like those thorns, they, they, they look deceptively similar to the good gifts that God gives. But when we partake of these pleasures apart from God and apart from his good law, we are playing with the thorns of death. 
So what does this look like for you? Friends, this is a warning to all of us in this room. Do you want to be a good soil? Let me just recommend, sit down with, with a Christian friend this week or with a pastor or another church member and consider for you, what are the cares of this world? What are the riches? What are the specific pleasures of this life that threaten your spiritual growth, your spiritual hearing? Where are you personally tempted? I guarantee you that exposing your sin now will be less painful than letting it grow until the final day. Thankfully, we see here also a picture of the good soil. Here we see the hearing that we all need. These other soils, soils thought they heard, but not really. And the, the good soil represents the hearing that produces enduring fruitfulness. So look at verses 8, and then jump down to verse 16 as well. We read there, Some seed fell into good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. And as for that in the good soil, those, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So obeying God doesn't earn your salvation. But obeying God does prove your salvation. It does prove that a change has happened. You show that you hear when you obey. Just like that wireless operator on the Titanic, you show your message, you show that you got the message when you change your course. It strikes me that Jesus seems fine with this being a long-term litmus test. Did you notice that in the verses I read? He, he isn't impressed with just somebody raising their hand. No, verse 8 he says, good soil is shown by yielding a hundredfold fruit. Or verse 15, good soil is shown by hearing the word and holding fast. Or verse 15 again, it's shown by bearing fruit with patience. So true hearing produces enduring faithfulness. Let's keep moving. Notice briefly from this same text, number two, what you must hear. Number two, what you must hear. We've already seen in the text. I just want to pause here and just underline this for you. Please note, you must hear God's word. It's God's word which is repeatedly being sown throughout this story. It's the word that's being scattered promiscuously. It's the word that is imaged in the next parable to be the lamp that we'll see in a moment. It's the word down in verse 21 that Jesus says, are those, we must hear the word of God and do it. You need God's word. I wonder if you believe this. I'm sure you've heard it said. I'm sure you think you believe it. But do you, do you truly believe that what you need to grow in Christ is God's word in you? It's the word of God, as others have said before me, it's the word of God with the spirit of God that create life in the people of God. 
So the picture is that God's word works like a, like a seed going into lifeless soil. And the seed is what brings the life into the soil. Well, God has always worked through his word. His words are, are really an extension of himself. His words are, are not like our words. No, his words work and they affect change. They either harden or they create life. This is why Jonathan Lehman says God's word is the most powerful force in the universe. It is how God will work in you is through his word. This is one reason, by the way, why we gather together week in and week out, and we just spend the largest portion of our service doing this right now, opening up and giving time to explaining what this book says to you. This is why we as a church believe in expositional preaching. We do what, what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah 8, where he, he just opened the book, he read from the word, he gave a sense of it to the people so that they could understand what the passage was saying. So this is what you should expect from me or anyone else who, who fills this pulpit. This is what you should expect from whatever next church you go to in your life. To go to a place where God's word is valued as the primary instrument of change in your heart. You should know that it's not, it's not my creativity or cleverness. It's not what our church has on offer for programs, even they, though they can be useful, that create change. What will change you, what will grow you, is being exposed to God's revelation. He has chosen to work through his word. What you need to hear, what you must hear, is God's word. Let me just pause here for just a few brief practical applications for our Sunday morning. Because if you're hearing me right, you as the listener have a job to do. I'm not the only one who comes and is working during this hour. You should be working. You should, verse 18, take care how you hear. So just seven pieces of advice about listening on Sunday mornings. Just pick one of them and work on it. Since you must hear God's word, number one, you should prioritize this time in your week. You should be in this room. Number two, you should pray before you come that God will teach you and grow you. Number three, get enough rest the night before so that you can come and, and listen carefully to God's word. And then number, what, what number are we on? Four, read ahead. Number four, take the passage and read ahead. Number five, bring your Bibles and have them open in front of you so that you can treat them as, as, as if they are truly God's revelation to you. Number six, consider taking notes of things that stand out in the passage that you can talk about later. Number seven, talk to a friend about one thing you hear. Make a habit of it. It'll just help you so much to let the sermon and what the text is saying just sink in that much farther if you just walk out of these doors and mention one spiritual truth that impacted you to a friend or family member. My job is important, but dear church, your job is also greatly important. You must take care how you hear. Let's keep moving. Number three, how will you hear? 
Now, in this point, I'm not just talking about the sound waves hitting your ear. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I'm talking about true spiritual hearing. The answer is that God must open our ears. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus here quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, explaining how his parables weren't just illustrations. They were a means of God's revealing and his hiding. God is revealing truth to those who would be his, and his hiding truth from those who would reject him. Here is a shadow of the biblical doctrine of election. That is that God sovereignly chooses whomever he will to see and understand by faith. So if you understand the gospel today, God has opened your eyes. And, and by the way, non-Christian friends, when I, when I say this word gospel, what I'm referring to is what God has done for us. We've all rebelled against him, and we believe that we are all separated from God in our sin. The gospel simply means good news, and it's the good news that that Jesus Christ came to us while we were separated from him in our sins. That Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life, and then he died in our place as our substitute on the cross. And then he rose from the grave, and he now offers forgiveness of sins. This is really good news, because it means that God has come and made a way to deal with our sins. This is the gospel. And to Christians here, what I'm saying to you is that if God has opened your eyes to believe this truth, whether he's doing that right now in this service— or whether he did that 40 years ago in your life. Whenever he has done that, it is by his work that he has done that. He has let you see the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, importantly, he will eventually show this to everyone. That's actually the point of where Jesus goes next. Look at verses 16 and following. We read another parable. Now, after lighting a lamp, no one, after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and to the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, let me just pause here and say, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this illustration. And here in Luke, Jesus isn't using it the same way he does in Matthew. He's not talking about a witness to the world around us. He's, not, he's actually not using it the way, same way he will later in Luke. In Luke eleven thirty three, he'll use the same parable again with a third meaning to it. But here, he's using it to teach us something about hearing. Admittedly, it's difficult to interpret. But here's what I think his point is. His point is that just like a, a lamp is lit and then exposed and put on a stand 
verse 16. So also will be the hidden things, verse 17. The secrets, which will become eventually known and come to light. Now, we know from earlier in the passage that the secret things, back in verse 10, are the teachings of Christ. So it seems that Jesus is saying his teachings were made to be a a secret. They're, They're given in parables so that only those who he has chosen will understand it. And that's true for now, but it won't always be the case. One day, the teaching of the kingdom will be put on a stand and it will come to light. It will be exposed. It will be made manifest. One day, everyone will see what he's saying. So what this means is you might, you, you might now believe by faith, but that won't always be the case. One day, you will believe by sight. One day, everyone else will see what God has been saying all along. As others have said, we live in the age of the ear, not yet in the age of the eye. God has designed this world so that we hear by faith and grow, even though we don't yet see him. So this is the point of verses 16 and 17. So therefore, verse 18, take care how you hear. If you hear in faith, your insight will only result in greater knowledge at the day of Christ. But for those who refuse to hear and believe... Those that that think they know, the insight, the the light that they have will be taken away. So just a note briefly to the Christians in the room here. This idea of of us having the, the secrets of the kingdom, of us having light, well, this should make us both incredibly humble and bold at the same time. We should be some of the most humble people because we realize that anything we see about God from Scripture, he has shown to us. And yet, we should also be bold at the same time because we realize that one day these true things will be shown to all. And so we want to speak to others about it. On that day, we will see Christ. My final point what true hearing brings. Look at verse 19 and following. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. True hearing brings identity with Christ. Christ identifies with those who hear God's word and do it. It's their, it's their calling card. It's what marks us out as God's people. We obey his commandments because they are not burdensome to us. Jesus' family here in this story, he, they come to him. There's this great crowd around him, and, and, and they can't seem to reach him. So someone kind of makes it through the crowd. They're shoving their way through. They get to Jesus and they tell him, your mother and your brothers are here desiring to see you. And Jesus just says something that's incredibly uncomfortable. Imagine being there. Jesus doesn't make way for his own mother and his brothers. What is he teaching here? We've already seen Jesus 
clearly respects his parents. We've seen this back in Luke 2 in the temple. Here he seems to be teaching again about who he is as the son of God. It's a similar lesson. He's trying to show us that that external proximity to Christ is no sign of your relationship to him. I I wonder if there there are some here today who might think that somehow you're connected to Christ, perhaps because your parents are religious, or because your spouse is a Christian, or perhaps because you've been to church a lot. It, you know, it's, it's common throughout the Gospels for people to think that they should be close to God and Christ go and reveal to them that they are not at all. True faith is not shown by your external connections to Christ. True, true faith is shown by hearing and obeying. Is there any area of your life that you're not hearing and obeying? There's a, there's a positive side to what he's teaching here, too. What does true hearing bring? He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Oh, beloved, Jesus identifies himself with us who hear his word and obey. Jesus is is willing to call us his family. Philip Reichen says it this way. He says, membership in the family of God is open and available to everyone who comes to Jesus in faith. We can be as close to Jesus as his own mother and brothers. Beloved, Jesus is saying here today that we have a closer unity to him than the closest relationship on earth that you can imagine. What relationship is closer than having a loving mother? How close can brothers be on this earth? Hebrews 2.11 tells us that Christ has sanctified us, that is, he set us apart, in order to not be ashamed to call us his brothers. Christian, Christ is not ashamed to call you his brother. If we get Christ, who wouldn't want to hear and obey? Oh, friends, have ears to hear Christ and his word today. About 15... 117 people died aboard the Titanic in the lethally cold waters that are now known as Iceberg Alley. Admittedly, it wasn't only Jack Phillips' fault, though I suppose I did skewer him a bit in my introduction. Jack did stay in the wireless room on the boat deck that evening, and he let out a pivotal SOS distress signal from the sinking Titanic that called a nearby ship, come rescue the survivors that night. However, Jack would go down with a ship. I wonder what he would say if he could go back in time. Jack had famously scolded a nearby ship that warned him about the icebergs. He was frustrated because they had been interrupting him while he was so busy handling passenger messages. I wonder if going back in time, Jack would have not only heard the warning message, but stopped filling his energy with trivial messages. 
Perhaps he would join in sending warning messages to others. We'll never know. It's too late for Jack. But it's not too late for you, at least right now. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, take care how you hear God's word. Hear the word of God and do it. Oh, that that would characterize our church. Oh, that this week we wouldn't be people caught up with other messages, with the the riches and the the cares and the, the pleasures of this life. Oh, that God would give us this hearing. Let us pray that we can hear the word of God and do it. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we need you to give us this gift. Father, hearing in faith is something that you must do in us. And so even as I call, as Jesus called, to hear to this body, to this room, we together ask that you would give us ears to hear. Father, for Christians here today, who need to listen to your word and obey in an area that they are not. Oh God, I pray that you would work in them. May they hear your word and do it. Father, for those who are here today who are not trusting in Christ, Father, would you soften their hearts? Would you show them who you have revealed yourself to be in your word? Would you work in us, even now we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, church. Let's stand.